With the worst of the COVID-19 viral outbreak perhaps over for China, many other countries are struggling to contain the virus and save lives. From the Western Wall in Jerusalem to Mecca in Saudi Arabia, Chris Mitchell tells us how the coronavirus is changing the Middle East. In Mecca, the black stone sits alone. Saudi Arabia decided to block access to Islam's holiest site as part of its fight to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Egypt has reported hundreds of cases that severely hit its tourism industry. Jordan's King Abdullah presided over a COVID-19 meeting and implemented a compulsory quarantine for all those entering the country. Iran has been the hardest hit in the region, with more than 850 deaths, some among its leadership. Everyone must help. We're in circumstances that in order to get through it as quickly as possible, we require collective assistance. Iran is a major hotspot and there are thousands of people there that are infected and the estimates are that there could be tens of thousands. Seth Franceman maintains a daily news digest on MiddleEastCenter.org that monitors the impact of the coronavirus in the Middle East. These are countries that have a huge role in the global economy. They knit together this kind of globalized world we live in. And all of those economies are gonna suffer massively from this. And I think we need to understand that the reverberations will go on for years. The refugees in the region are at greatest risk. Many of them do not have access to basic uh, healthcare needs. And that means also that they are prevented usually from what we would think of as tests. For instance, in Europe and America, it's difficult sometimes to get a test for this virus. Imagine if you're in a camp or you're near Raqqa or Kamishle in Eastern Syria, your chances are zero. This pandemic could have a massive ripple effect in the region and set back not only Gulf economies, but also all these economies that are affected around it. Author Joel Rosenberg joins us for more. He has spent much time in the Middle East. He's written a new novel, a Middle East thriller, The Jerusalem Assassin. I had a chance to read the book. I, I liked so it very Thank much. You. I want to talk to you about that in, in a little bit here. But first, coronavirus. How do you think, Joel, this is going to flush out and affect the Middle East in the long term? Well, at the moment, it's got the entire Middle East paralyzed. Uh, Israel is on a complete lockdown. It feels strange for me with my wife and three sons uh, living in Jerusalem. Uh, they are in complete lockdown. You can't go anywhere. There's no movie theaters open, only supermarkets, uh, pharmacies and gas stations, although you're not really supposed to go anywhere. So I don't know why people need to drive. That's extraordinary. Every tourist and business person has been asked to leave the country. Nobody's being allowed into the country. Even the worst of our wars and suicide bombers, uh, we've never shut the country down. And, and this is happening throughout the region. At least with the missiles from Gaza, you can see those rockets coming in. That's right. Right? This, this is an invisible uh, enemy. And you know what's interesting for Israel? Uh, Netanyahu and the government, uh, they need a, we need a full government. That's a separate issue. But... Netanyahu is absolutely doing the right thing because Israel is a small country. We skew uh, older. We've got a Holocaust uh, survivor population that's older. So we've got to protect our country. But there's another issue. If Israelis start getting sick en masse, countries all over the world will ban Israelis from ever entering their country. Uh, and that would be worse than the political effects of BDS, the boycott, divestment, and sanction movement. So we've got to nip this thing in the bud, uh, both for our health and for our commercial and you know, other uh, interests uh, worldwide. Now, Bibi's handling of this, how do you think that may affect uh, Benny Gantz and his efforts to 
uh, form of government. Well, Gantz has pulled, has extraordinarily pulled all the opposition to Netanyahu together. They have 62 seats. Netanyahu, even though his party did better than ever, they only have 58 seats with the, their coalition. So at the moment, Gantz has the first shot to put the government together. But I think what we need is a national unity government. I don't think the electorate in any of these last three elections has given Netanyahu uh, a full majority or Gantz. So these guys, as much as they don't like each other, in a crisis, they need to come together and form a, a, a national unity government. Now, on your book, uh, The Jerusalem Assassin. Yeah, let's, keep, let's hope that stays fiction. Because we've got enough troubles <laughs> well, in our part I, of the world. I was going to ask you about that because it, it seems like, okay, you, you've got a U.S. president, you've got an Israeli prime minister, you've got the king of Saudi Arabia right. all coming to Jerusalem while an assassin is running loose. That's right. It's quite a thriller. Or more than one. <laughs> more than one, yes. That's right. Basically, uh, the Jerusalem assassin is a political thriller about an American president getting ready to roll out his big Israeli-Palestinian peace plan when a series of senior U.S. officials who were involved in drafting the plan start getting assassinated. So the president gets rattled, thinks maybe I shouldn't release it. But right at that moment, he gets a back-channel message from the Saudis saying, Mr. President, we're not a big fan of all the details of your plan, but we're ready to make peace with Israel. If you will invite us to a high-profile summit, a peace summit in Jerusalem with the Israeli prime minister, and you host us, Mr. President, the Saudi leader will come. And the president is excited about that. But his security advisors think that's insane. <laughs> Don't do that. Not now. And Marcus Riker, the hero of the story, Marine, former Secret Service, now CIA, he's tasked with making this summit safe unless all hell breaks loose. And you're quick to mention in your notes, uh, look, even though you know I've, I've traveled around in the Middle East, I've met with uh, the Saudi leadership and so forth. Right. There's nothing in here that is actually quoted from dialogue that I've right. had. Right. Uh, but it seems like this is uh, taken from the news. Well, look, I believe that the Iran threat, uh, the Iran nuclear threat, the Iran terror threat is so existential, uh, not just to Israel, but to all the Arab countries in the region, that these Arab leaders, that you're right, I have sat and spent hours and hours and hours with the, all the top leadership in Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, uh, and there's others in the region too, Oman, Morocco. They all are actively considering maybe Israel's actually an ally and a friend, not the enemy we've always portrayed them as. And this is causing them to consider, is it time? Uh, Marcus Riker, Devout Christian, yeah. committed believer, yeah. uh, but also he's a, a tough guy. He's really, when things get tough, he, he really knows how to jump into action. Is that a little bit like Joel Rosenberg? Uh, no, he's far more uh, brave and far more uh, skilled. I just make things up for a living, Gary. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Joel. I appreciate, appreciate it. You. And thank you for uh, sharing about your book. My pleasure.